Say you're sorry, Redmond. Come on, you can easily say that. I'm not sorry. And I'll not apologize. And I'd soon go to Dublin as to hell. Okay, we have a few more questions for you, Doctor. Doctor, huh? It's funny when people call dentists doctor. We are doctors. We do four years of medical school. Now, it's called dental school. But we learn about the entire body. Yeah, but if you had cancer, you wouldn't call it dentist. You know, it's actually harder to get into dental school than medical school. Well, because there are fewer dental schools. Because most people want to become actual doctors. That's ridiculous. It's not like we're college professors calling ourselves doctors. It's not the same thing, my friend. Well, sure it is. When someone has a heart attack on a plane, do they yell out, yo, does anybody here have an art history PhD? A PhD is a doctorate. It's literally describing a doctor. Maybe let's refocus. No, the problem here is that medical practitioners have co-opted the word doctor. Okay, Captain. Now, I know we live in a world where anything can mean anything, and nobody even cares about etymology. Apparently, that's a trigger for me. Yeah. Apparently. Chris Gowser here with Matt Howell. And ooh boy, guys. It's another edition of the first run. Best part of the week for all of us. I'm so glad you're here with us. This week... We check out the latest and supposedly last film by the legendary filmmaker Hayao Miyazaki, The Boy and the Heron. Then we check out the latest from Alexander Payne's reunion with Paul Giamatti in The Holdovers. We give you the big releases on physical medium, there are straight to DVD and shooting pics of the week, yada, yada, yada. Then we wrap up the show with... Something to do with Rolling Stone's top 50 action movies of all time. All I got was a cryptic test saying, I want to talk about this, review it. I'm sure there'll be, the whole segment will be righteous indignation, as is what we do on this show. Um, maybe you can also fill me in what, why the Sterling, the, the Sterling K. Brown and Captain Holt clip at the beginning there? Did Andre Brunauer just passed away. Oh, I, like, I did. They just announced it like an hour before we uh, started recording. Oh, that's, so. that is... Horrible news. I don't even feel like doing the show. Yeah. Well, shit. Well, let's see. Um, let's see what uh, Miyazaki. It's not even fun anymore. Let's see what the Miyazaki has to do. Uh, has to show us about life and loss with the boy and the heron. Mahito. So you made it. Mother! Have a seat. It's this way, Mahito. A lot of strange things happen in this place. I just hope he stays safe. Save me. Save me, Mahito! What exactly are you? Dear mother, she's awaiting your rescue. I'll be your guide. You know, that's Robert Pattinson. Really? I'm actually yeah, really plays... surprised that you played the English dub version since you're so anti-dub. I know, but I thought, you know, I think the bulk of our audience are uh, here domestically. Yeah. So well, I thought. Never stopped you before. And there was an opportunity to see either or. So, True. yeah, but that's Robert Pattinson is the gray heron in uh, the English dub version. Which did you, I'm assuming you saw the subtitled version then? I did. Only because, not out of any kind of you know, uh, misguided idea of that it's superior or anything like that just because that's what worked out for my schedule. Yeah, I I went with the uh, subtitled one as well because of a misguided <laughs> I know assumption that it would be superior. <laughs> so I was, fingers crossed, we didn't communicate this ahead of time. We probably should have. That one of us maybe should have seen the, the dub and one of us the subtitle. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, I, I, I probably will try and catch the, 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 the dub at some point. So we'll see. So, Matt, as you said, Miyazaki's returned out of retirement. It was just the second time right? to uh, make another but film. this is the last time for real, guys. Uh-huh. For real. Sure. sure. Wink. And uh, we'll see. And uh, this time he's telling the story about a, 
a young man, his, uh, well, you know what? I don't want to get ahead of myself because mm-hmm. this is what you mm-hmm. do. Matt, what is the uh, boy and the heron all about? So uh, Mojito moves out to the country um, into a big house with his father after a uh, personal loss is the death of his mother and um, struggling to cope and move on. And when he runs into a gray heron that informs him that his mother is alive and all he has to do is go and get her. And then hijinks ensue. Hijinks. <laughs> Man, I think between the two of us, I think you're much more familiar with Miyazaki's work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I've seen a few films. We did a marathon, in fact, what was that last yeah. year? And uh, so how does this stack up for you in the uh, legendary director's over? Was it worth him coming out of retirement? I understand that there have been people are saying, well, this is a much more personal film for him. But I think they've been kind of tweaking that or pushing that kind of to get people out. Mm-hmm. That it's more borrows from a bunch of his other works throughout the past. And most of his films really have kind of stories about him or mm-hmm. developments out of him or his life or things that he's experienced. And I want to understand too, doing some research for this, that this is more about his uh, former collaborator, Sayo uh, Takahata, okay. than it is more a uh, story about Miyazaki himself. So what are your thoughts on the boy and the heron? Where does it stack up in his canon? Uh, since you're more the expert than I am. Yeah, I would, I mean, I'm maybe I'm more of an expert, but I, I haven't seen everything that he's put out. So I'll just say, say that to begin with. Um, there are still some things I haven't seen of his, but he's just one of those filmmakers that, you know, on a short list that if he releases a film, I'm going to go see it. And I think he's just required viewing if you care about film at all. So I think, I think this sits squarely in the upper middle of his canon for me. I think it's really, really good. I don't know if it touch reaches the heights of some of his best films, but it is a kind of fitting. If this is really truly his last film and he's not getting any younger, he's 82 years old. It's a kind of wrap up elegy coda that I would not be mad if this was the last thing we got from him in a very storied career. Matt, how high was I supposed to be when I watched this? (laughs) But I mean, you've, you've, Probably not at all. It would probably be a terrifying experience if you were high. I mean, that's probably true. Uh, especially, you know, someone who might be inexperienced. I really do not recommend that at all. Going into public, <laughs> watching this <laughs> high. That's probably fair. Since I, I never have partaken. The uh, I I've saw this a few times, uh, though. I would still admit it anyway. I don't think I quite understood mm. half of this film mm. and what was happening. Uh, I don't know if that's it, just my own cultural ignorance. Right. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I will say that the opening of this film, when we see what happens to uh, uh, Mojito's uh, mother, mm-hmm. is possibly one of maybe my favorite piece of animation ever. One of the most fascinating, terrifying, harrowing, and enthralling animated scenes I think I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And it's... I just struggled with like the first then once. So he goes with his father to stay with his father's new spouse, which is the sister of his deceased mother, which I think I understand is not an unusual thing to do, particularly in, in Japan back at that time. Okay. You know, that the family member would basically step up to fill the role of the mother for him. Okay. And it's not so much about a romantic relationship, but it's more about keep maintaining a cohesive family unit. But... I, I, I was really struggling for a long part of the film. Uh, what are we doing here? Are we making peace with loss? Because in the end, we're all interconnected anyway. And Mahito choosing to exist in reality and foregoing a fantasy world where he can be a king mm-hmm. and be with his mother, but he'd much rather kind of deal with the real life things. But then I, I, I get that. I'm on board with that. And I didn't really catch on to it, unfortunately, until the last act of the film. Um, but I'm going to admit I'm baffled by the fantasy elements. What do the parakeets represent? And I appreciate the like your responses, like, you know, why parakeets? Well, maybe why not parakeets? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think maybe the core of it is my Miyazaki literacy is poor. Mm-hmm. I do understand that many references to his prior works in this film. Uh, and I enjoyed it. 
I think it, I, I, there's parts of it I thought fascinating. Like I said, that last act, the last third of the film, when I was finally kind of bored of what was happening, I was all in. But there's like a stretch in this film in the middle that I I was totally I didn't I didn't understand what was happening. Right. I'll admit there are times, especially when you kind of watch these fantastical, you know, stories from other cultures that there may be cultural significant things that you may not pick up on because you're not immersed in that culture. You don't have the kind of uh, shared language of it. I can't say that that's what's going on here because I just don't know enough about it. And I think I learned a long time ago just to kind of go with it and let these things wash over you. I wasn't really bothered by the parts I didn't necessarily understand or there may have been some deeper subtext that I didn't have the language to understand but i didn't let it bother me i still think you know i kind of accepted it when i had to at face value and just kind of went with what was there i mean to me you know this is kind of one of those films um and i struggle to kind of think of you know other examples beyond like something like alice in the one alice in wonderland where this very well could be not happening, right? So this could be yeah. part of the, you know, grieving process of a young boy who's escaped into his own imagination, right? Same thing with mm-hmm. Alice. There's probably, you know, if I really sat down and thought about it, we could probably list another, you know, several dozen more where we could kind of go with that that possible idea. And I think you just kind of got to accept that that's a possibility, accept that, you know, just take what's on there and just let it kind of flow over you. And I don't think there are parts of this that are like Chris said, even like the beginning and some of the other pieces in this that work really, really well. I don't think it necessarily Mm -hmm. ends as well as some of his other films. I don't think it hits with like the punch of um, his previous films, but again, I almost, and I almost think not to tie everything together, but tying another legendary filmmaker in Kurosawa. Like if you look at like his later works, right? Like they, he still got a touch of the master, but he's not quite what the same he is, whether he's only because he's changed or he doesn't have the same drive or he has a different perspective on things, but you kind of just accept it for what it is and enjoy these kind of what the, what this master is still putting out and, and just take it for what it is. Yeah, I did kind of toy with that. Was this all part of his grieving process and none of it was actually happening? Right. And I did eventually kind of just said, all right, well, I don't understand it, but let's just succumb to this film and see where it takes us. Uh, and maybe in the end it'll pay off. But I think for the most part it did. I mean, there are some great scenes in this too. There's one, what, when the, uh, Mito shows, when they, when he crosses over into the parakeet world and the two parakeets are behind him, marching him to the, uh, you know, yeah. to meet the king or whatever. And they had the knives and the behind their back. I mean, there's lots of great little moments like that throughout the relationship with the heron as well as that it changes and evolves as he goes through, I guess, this grieving process. Uh, yeah. And some great images, some fantastic animation and work here. I will say it's one of my favorite scores of the year. Mm-hmm. They're very gentle textures with this and great mood setting. The music is a highlight for me in this film. Uh, so I was very happy about that. And with the films we saw, so the, the marathon, we did Spirited Away, which I had previously seen, mm-hmm. Princess Mononoke, mm-hmm. which I hadn't, Howl's Moving Castle, which I hadn't, uh, My Neighbor Totoro, and then we closed with Grave of the Fly- Fireflies. Mm-hmm. So, and I think those are probably, are those considered kind of his best? Though, I think what Fireflies is, is Takahata's. Yeah, that's not him. It was more of a Ghibli marathon than it was a Miyazaki marathon. Right, right. But still, it's good. Is it an all-time classic from the works I've seen of his? No. Um, where would I rank it on those other films? Minus, of course, Fireflies. It would probably be number five out of those five. Mm, even over Howl's Moving Castle, huh? Yeah, you're right. I think I would probably put it above Howl's Moving Castle. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. So, uh, but yeah, it's... Yeah, I, I'm i sitting on a B plus, A minus, and right now a B plus just because of so much of it I didn't quite grasp. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I don't think it's his, it's his greatest work. You know, I think this is a, a bit of a mess. He's kind of saying, if again, assuming that this is actually his final film, it's it's kind of got this saying goodbye to this kind of world of dreams that he's made and, and it's messy at times and, and things like that. And 
I am completely fine with a B plus, which I think is funny because I mean, Chris is waffling on a B plus A minus film, but he's 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 talking about how it would be like number five, which should tell you something about how good his films are, just you know, as a whole, mm. because uh, we haven't given that many A minuses out this year, so. I think a B plus is right. I think it's still worth your time. I still think it's solidly in the middle of what he's produced. And you know what? If this is it for him, I can't be mad at him. And if it's not, then hey, we'll see what else comes around. And well, hopefully it's not ten years because then he'd be ninety two. So we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So there you go, folks. The boy and the heron. Currently available in theaters. You can go check it out now. I was able to see it in... What did I see it? I think it was IMAX. Okay. No. Just little theaters. Little theaters for me. That's all they had. All right. Fair enough. If you had a chance to see it, what are your thoughts? Particularly, too, if you saw the English dub version. Mm. I do kind of want to check it out. From what I understand, Pattinson is very, very good mm-hmm. in it as the Heron. And uh, if you're unaware, the other actors, uh, Karen Fukuhara, Gemma Chan, Christian Bale returns, Mark Hamill, Florence Pugh, Willem Dafoe, Dave Bautista are uh, kind of that your headliners in the rest of the film. So there you go. Uh, she has an email feedback at the first run.com. Matt, I did it again. I neglected to number though. I think I have the right amount of for a five. <laughs> I just didn't do my numbers against them. So uh, we'll have to see how this goes, but here's what's coming up on physical media. This upcoming Tuesday, December 19th. What is this? What are you doing? Pretty good stuff, huh? I organized a hockey team for Chris and some of his friends, huh, Chris? We have our first practice this afternoon. You are looking at the coach. Call it off. Take that stuff in the garage, okay? There's going to be an accident. Call it off. Call it off? What for? Chris has been looking forward to this all week, huh? He's really coming out of his shell, John. Wait. I got to talk to you. Have a little nourishment, and then we'll hit the axe. No, no, listen to me. Call it off. There's going to be an accident. Call it off. Well, ridiculous. We always get on that pond until March. What the hell is the matter with you? You want to kill your own son? I'm scared, Dad. For Christ's sake, John. Don't be scared. Just go eat your cookies. Don't you know who I am? Of course I know who you are. You think I'd have you come into my son's life without checking you out? But I hired you for your abilities as a teacher, not as a fortune teller. Now, don't give me any arguments. The ice is gonna break! you damn right it is, Matt. That's right. The Dead Zone is being released in 4K from Scream Factory this upcoming Tuesday. Matt was... What was it? I don't know. You were saying the ice was going to break silently because you knew what the clip was. I think we played this clip before too, but it's just so good. I wish I, I could. It makes that. me wish I could do a Christopher Walken just so I could drop that out every now and again. I really should practice. It's <laughs> a brand new 4K transfer on this one from the original camera negative. Uh, and there's new audio commentary again by the folks over at KingCast, Eric Vespi and Scott Wampler, as well as Mike Flanagan. All mm. uh, provide us. That's brand new to this 4K release. So you can pick that up on Tuesday, Matt. And then uh, let's start our good old-fashioned, as the kids say, countdown. Four. Nope, you start with five. Number five. Number five is going to be uh, Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, I guess. This is a Henry Thomas, Samantha Mathis, and David Duchovny. This, I think, was on Hulu or Paramount Plus. Or... Yeah, it was, on a, it was a streaming exclusive. You're right. I didn't watch it. So it's nine. 19- uh, it's a prequel, I think. It's 1969, a young Judd Crandall has dreams of leaving his hometown of Ludlow, Maine behind, but soon discovers sinister secrets buried within and is forced to confront a dark family history that will forever keep him connected to Ludlow. There's a couple uh, making out featurettes and some interviews as well. I've heard different things. Some people say it's pretty good. Other people say there has yet to be a good Pet Cemetery film. <laughs> so, yeah. What does it say about again? What number? Four! That's right, number four. I... Listen, I was on here just so you know. It wasn't as much coming out this week because we're so close to Christmas. They've been telling you now that it's coming out so you can avoid it and tell your your uh, fa- friends, family, loved ones not to buy it for you if they see it and they get all excited. Exorcist Believer mm. is being released. If you want it from Best Buy, there's a steel book. And I got to admit, the steel book from Best Buy is my favorite out of all the three covers because there's also a Walmart steel book as well. There is a feature commentary on this one featuring David Gordon Green and a producer, co-writer, and a makeup effects designer. And then a bunch of other stuff about the making of the film. Maybe they explain why it's so bad. I don't know. 
but uh, Exorcist Believer being released here on Tuesday. Get three coffins ready. Uh-huh. Kino Cult is releasing Underworld, also known as Transmutations from 1985. This is a close and dear one to Matt when a high-class hooker named Nicole is kidnapped from her brothel. Rich businessman Hugo Motherskill hires her ex-love Roy Bain to find her. Investigating the disappearance, he eventually finds traces that led to Dr. Savari, who has produced a strange white powder that's coveted by a race of deformed human beings who live in the underworld in the sewers below the city. Brand new 4K restoration on this one, Dolby Vision, and a new audio commentary as well. And then, where are we? To? Oh, I guess I did number it right. Look at me. Looks like we're shy of one horse. <laughs> You brought two too many. Over the winter break, I got to come up with some new numbers, Matt. We keep have the same ones now for like a year. Mm-hmm. So uh, number two, it's a cheat though. It's Avatar and Avatar: The Way of Water Collector's Editions in 4K. So Avatar, you get three versions of the film for the first time: the theatrical, a special edition, and a collector's extended cut. And there's a new behind-the-scenes feature presentation and uh, a new still gallery, a new Colonel Miles. Quaritch RDA promos. So there's that. Way of Water has new behind-the-scenes presentation as well. New deleted and extended scenes that have never been released before. New scene deconstruction featurette, production materials beyond the big screen. So if you have not owned... If you already bought Avatar Way of Water, this one is stacked, folks. If you're a big fan, then you may want to pick this one up as well. I... If it gets to the right price, Matt, I may pick up these two Avatar films in 4K, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm, am I ever really going to watch you're them not, again? You're not. You, it would have to be incredibly, incredibly low for you to do it. Because even if it's like a few bucks, like it's like $10, you'll be like, mm, I could probably use that $10 on something else. I think that would be my, my trigger point. It would be 10 bucks pop <clears throat> mm-hmm. for these. So, yeah. All right. Fair enough. And then finally, you're going to be surprised. Like, Avatar, Avatar with one in 4K, that's not your number one. This is your number one. There can be only one. That's right, folks. Columbo, seasons one through seven, being released on Blu-ray from Kino Lorber. Uh, not include, does not include the movies, like the DVD set that I own does. Though they're newly restored in 4K. It's a 20-disc box set. It does include the 1968 movie of the week, Prescription Murder, and the 1971 pilot, Ransom for a Dead Man. And there's brand new audio commentaries on the episodes as well. But it doesn't have the later uh, TV of the week movies mm-hmm. uh, that are included in the DVD set. I bought the DVD set from uh, Amazon, I think, like a year ago or two years ago for like 20 bucks, which was well worth it. And I kind of slowly been going through it. I think I'm on season three or so now. I just like to pop them on. Columbo is a great show. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, it may seem a little dated uh, when you're watching it, but the mysteries and Peter Falk, all of it still, it just, it still clicks. It still bangs and it's well worth checking out. Aren't they releasing like a new Columbo? No, no. I'm sorry. No, it's not a Columbo movie. It's one of those other ones. It's Monk. They're releasing another Monk show. I never watched I, Monk. I thought it would be right up your alley. Yeah, never watched mm-hmm. it. Okay. So. Fair enough. I can't say for sure. And then some 4K releases. We talked about the Dead Zone, Matt. The other one is uh, JFK okay. from Shout Factory, mm-hmm. Oliver Stone's film. It does include the director's cut uh, on 4K. The theatrical cut is available on a separate Blu-ray disc. So the theatrical cut will not be on 4K. And there's a bunch of new interviews from a bunch of different people on the making of the film. 12 deleted and extended scenes, including the altered ending and uh, more. You're straight to DVD pick of the week, Matt. <laughs> I I lost the title of it. It's about a woman that dreams that she's a werewolf, so she goes out and finds men. She proceeds to have intercourse with them and then rips their throats out with her teeth. That sounds delightful, Matt. So I will look up the name of the film, which somehow I did not capture. Mm-hmm. Well, you tell us um, what we should be streaming this week. Well, there's a few options out there for you. I thought I would mention that uh, Bo is Afraid is now available for streaming on Showtime if you're so inclined to go watch it. And I I want to say that I recommended this, but then I really couldn't remember if I had. But we have mentioned it that uh, Indiana Jones and The Dial of Destiny is available on Disney Plus for your streaming needs. I know we've talked about it coming out on, on physical media, but I'm not sure we talked about the streaming. So 
If it's a duplicate, sorry guys, that's why I gave you two. There you go. Yeah, I'm waiting for that to come down a little bit in price. I'm going to jump all over that one. I'm excited to uh, revisit that and see if it's any better or any worse than when uh, we first talked about mm-hmm. it. When we saw it in the theater, as I continue to stall, as I scroll through <laughs> here and try and find the name of this GD movie. What I should probably do is just Google what I wrote, and that should come right up. Right. Right? You think that would work? I would think Let's so. try that real fast. And uh, we'll see if the magic power of Google works did you uh check out oh there you go it's called werewolf woman probably should have just guessed fair enough so did you see the uh h bomber guy video on um james summerton the uh no gay uh youtube movie guy no, i didn't are you familiar with h bomber guy at all mm. check him out on youtube he does these long form kind of video essays and they're all absolutely fantastic he just dropped this almost four hour thing about youtube plagiarism okay and it is phenomenal i've actually watched it like twice but mostly kind of in the background listening to it while i do other things but yeah i love all of his work so that did you check out rm brown yet i think i told you about him once before too there's a guy i think is really funny yeah you did tell me about it but i have not checked him out just because i like to disappoint you on every turn that i can have you watched one cut of the day absolutely not we that I, i thought we decided that on the last show when we put up the chairs and turn off the lights that's what i'm going to talk about uh, one cut of the dead yeah all right fine <laughs> good let's talk about the let's talk about the holdovers as i just kind of cry again as always i was right this is why i hate parties that was a disaster total disaster speak for yourself i was having fun Let's take Mary home, make sure she's okay, and we'll come back. Out of the question. Come on, would you give me a break? God, I was hitting it off with Elise. No, the niece? Are you kidding me? This poor woman is bereft, and all you can think about is some silly girl. I don't need you feeling sorry for me. See? I'm just saying, this was the first good thing that came with being in this prison with you. Need I remind you that it is not my fault that you are stuck here? Do you think I want to be babysitting you? Oh, no, no, I was praying to the God I don't even believe in that your mother would pick up the phone or your father would arrive in a helicopter or a submarine or a flying fucking saucer to take you dead. Off. Wow, that's kind of, woof, right? Well, that's, uh, that's quite the uh, hit there. It's got a sting. A little bit. So I was watching The Holdovers, Matt. Uh, which is still occasionally playing in theaters, mm-hmm. though you can rent it online now as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's down to like one or two screenings a day. And it's Alexander Payne's latest film, though written by uh, David Hemmingson. And Paul Giamatti plays Paul uh, Hunnam. He's a uh, what a, a history teacher mm-hmm. at uh, Barton Academy, which is a New England boarding school. And... The holdovers is a term basically for the kids who can't go home for Christmas, right? So one of the teachers has to stay behind and watch over many kids there are. It starts off with about five or six kids, and then uh, one of them shows up. Their dad shows up, take them away on a ski vacation, and they can all go except for one. They can't get a hold of the kids' parents. And so then we're down to uh, basically then Giamatti's Paul Hunnam and then Dominic Sessa's Angus Tully. And the two of them, and of course there's a third character, Divine Joy Rudolph, who plays uh, Mary Lamb. She is the uh, head cook at the academy, and the three of them kind of form this, you know, unlikely family. <laughs> and uh, the film is set uh, in 1970, and it's basically about the three of these people as they kind of grow to learn, appreciate, and love each other, and kind of come together under those such from disparate backgrounds and different people. And uh, Giamatti is the curmudgeonly old professor who is very, you know, he's got the cold heart and really difficult and uh, all, that, 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 all that stuff. Man, Matt, the movie just screams Oscar bait, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on The Holdovers? Did you enjoy it? Is it a little too uh, artsy, indie, Oscar baity for you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't know if it's too Oscar. I mean, come on, please, Chris. Too Oscar, indie, baity. That is... I've seen some films for this show and that this is not even in the top 20% of trying to meet the formula to get into that, Mm -hmm. that group. Honestly, it's a pretty straightforward, you know, story about damaged people who find each other and learn a little bit about each other, a 
bit at a time and they come to respect each other and of course it pulls on your heartstrings a little bit it uh, makes you kind of feel for these characters you know nothing like earth shattering happens as far as the plot goes and it's dryly funny in places it's not anything that is earth shattering it's not the it's not going to be like a weird cultural moment like sideways was but it's it's fine i thought it was a decent you know middle of the road um what's the word i'm looking for here it's not dadtainment but it feels like it's like it's meant for like your your weird intellectual uncle to go see like on a Tuesday at two o'clock. Cause he has nothing to do and he would love it. All right. It's so funny. So when you started talking, I'm like, yeah, no, that's entirely right. No, I agree. I agree. And as the more you talk, the more I began to disagree with you and became more and more disillusioned with what you were saying. And by the end, I'm like, is this an attack? I mean, am I being attacked here? I, well, here's the thing. If you're being attacked, I did not know I was laying out a siege to your, personal Carthage, right? I did not know that I was attacking you right now. All right, Professor Hunnam. <laughs> I will say, too, that's one of my favorite things about the film is the uh, insults here that Giamatti's character throws at the students. They're very smart, very intellectual, very funny, though, mm. as well. They are whip-smart delivered by Giamatti, and he is fantastic in this. I think it, man, I found it heartfelt. It was surprising. Mm-hmm. And for me, a reminder of how great an actor Giamatti is. It is, and I think what Payne pulls off in this film, which is clear, I think is a film I liked a lot more than you did at this point, is he creates this cozy kind of blanket of a movie. And I think that's done a couple different ways. A, it's set in the 70s. Originally, it was supposed to be in the 80s, mm-hmm. right? But they shifted to 70s because they felt that the film would have a more emotional resonance in the 80s would. Because then you get to bring in the Vietnam War, which has such a profound effect on the characters. Because not only is Randolph's Mary Lamb dealing with the death of her son, mm-hmm. who was killed in Vietnam, as when she had tried, you know, she brought him into the, she got the job at the school so he could go there and then he could go to college. Mm-hmm. And he ends up getting drafted and killed. And the whole time, too, Tully's character, Tully, the character played by Sessa, is if he gets tossed out of one more boarding school or one more school, he's going to go to military school, which means eventually he's likely going to be drafted and have to go into the wars mm-hmm. himself. Mm-hmm. So you have that hanging over the film as well. So not just that, but there's also the aesthetic choices. So he used Payne used period correct mics and lenses on the camera. There's a grain all over this film as well from start to finish, which I appreciate. It has some great needle drops in it. And again, another really beautiful, delicate score. And uh, so not only does the 70s not serve just as an aesthetic choice, which I think is very smart, because it helps bring back that sense of nostalgia I have for those types of films, those adult kind of dramas with a lot of heart that kind of bring you to a place you don't really expect it to. And is never is never... The surprises in it when they hit, for me, I really appreciate it because I think at some point we could have easily crossed over into that melodrama, uh, Oscar Beatty type stuff. Mm-hmm. But pain never crosses that line. And the film never goes off the rails. And there's scenes like that scene that I played. I chose that one specifically because it's in the trailer and... When he says that, you're thinking, oh, God, here we go, right? Oh, my son's dead. My father's dead. Now all of this is going to have to be this whole thing about how we all learn a lesson about life and how important it is to have family, blah, blah, blah. But the film is much more delicate than that. If That scene feels heavy-handed, but it doesn't come off that way when it plays out. And when the big, you know, when we have the kind of turns that the film takes, it becomes even more emotionally resonant for me, I think. So in the end, as I said, it's a story of three people and this makeshift family, each dealing with their own personal loss and heartbreak, coming together, growing together, and making choices about the future of their lives that impact each other in a profound way. I think it's exceptionally well done storytelling. I think it has a fantastic script and uh, it's, it's great. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I didn't not enjoy it. I thought it was quite good. But, I mean, it's basically like, uh, it seems to me like it's a separate piece, but uh, ratchet it up to, you know, take it out of World War II, put it in Vietnam, and then add some jokes into it. And that's basically what you get. I agree with you. I think G- Giamatti is a delight to watch in this. I just don't think it's anything 
earth shattering, but I, I had a I had a wonderful time watching it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay. Well, I feel a little bit better about it then. I mean, it's not yeah, it, it is gonna be one of those ones too that I'm really glad I saw it. I don't know if I'll ever revisit it. Mm-hmm. But as a as a cinematic experience, when you don't you just don't see a lot of these types of mm-hmm. films anymore, mm-hmm. really, is what it is, I think is why I'm so high on yeah. it. And it was just a nice reminder of the small kind of mid-budget kind of adult dramas that we, we don't really see much of anymore. And it's expertly told. It, it's really well done. And I want to, I want people to go out and check it out or rent it online when you get, you know, when you, from home, whatever the case may be. Don't buy it. I, that's fine. But make sure you, you, you at least rent it or see it in whatever it shows up on a streaming service at some point. It is well worth your time. Don't be put off by the potential... Like I initially was by the trailer, mm-hmm. really leaning into the 70s aesthetic. And I thought, oh, wow, this is just going to be just all too much, too heavy handed kind of melodrama. It never gets there. It never does it. And just lots of delightful, pleasant, heart heart crushing surprises yeah. throughout, throughout. So, you know what? I think that's a perfect description of this film. This is a film that you're going to catch on TV or you're going to see it on the streaming service and you're going to watch it blind. And you're gonna, at the end of it, you're going to say, you know what? That was pretty good. I enjoyed that. And then you'll never watch it again. And you may recommend it to, <laughs> to a few people, but I mean, you saw it and you enjoyed it and you had a good time with the movies. There you go. And I was listening, I was reading this fantastic interview um, with Alexander Payne and uh, Vulture uh, right now by uh, Bill Jabiri. And he talks to Payne about stuff. And one of the things they bring up, which I thought was really fascinating that I never really thought about before, they talk about Giamatti and how great he is and how he's a singular talent. And not that he's good, not just that he's good, that he inhabits a place in cinema that cannot be replaced. Mm. That there are actors who come along around along like this every now and then, that when they're gone, there is nobody else working in that space. Hmm. And he is one of those people. Who do you think would else and, would be? I, I guess continue, but I, I guess I would be curious to see who else you would put into that category. Like he's like James Cagney, mm. like he says, was a, is a similar type. But there's really nobody else working in the industry like him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. I think Giamatti is like one of those guys where whenever he shows up, he's perfect for what he does, yeah. for who he is in that particular role. And I, and I, I struggle to see who could replace him in that capacity i mean the closest of him would be defoe maybe but even then i don't think so because giamatti has this every man kind of curmudgeon general quality about him to begin with yeah i just i thought it was a really interesting observation yeah it's a great interview you should uh, read it over at bullshit yeah he definitely is i mean i don't know if anybody could replace him but he is in one of those that rare and i think would defoe is as well into that like he fills a niche and they don't those niches don't necessarily overlap but he definitely mm. fits in. I mean, the thing that always came to mind, I mean, of course he's not around anymore, but it seems like the same kind of thing as like Philip Seymour Hoffman, right? Like he, yeah. he, yeah. he could come in, he could do whatever, what is you need to be, whether it's like a silly schlub or a menacing villain or, you know, a uptight, uh, <laughs> you know, author or whatever. I mean, it's all, it, it's that same type of anchor and they're just becoming fewer and fewer and farther between. Although you could say, Pattinson, but he's obviously very pretty. So I don't know if that's a, a knock in his favor. Yeah, no, I, he's more just I think a, a great talent who can play a lot of different roles. I, I don't think he he doesn't inhabit a particular corner mm. of cinema that I think like Giamatti does. Yeah. So hmm. fair enough. All right, man, I'm giving it an A minus. You say we don't give it out a lot of A minuses. Well, I just did. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a B. I think it's a it's a solid, enjoyable effort. Outrageous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Now who's curmudgeonly? Seriously. Fine. Well, well, no, that's true. I never said I wasn't. I mean, that's that's absolutely true. So, uh, all right. If you had a chance to see The Holdovers, as again, like we said, uh, maybe one or two screenings, though, by the time the show drops, it may be gone. Uh, and then you could uh, rent it right now. So uh, let us know your thoughts. Feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, let's spend a few minutes and talk about this Rolling Stone list. I got to pull up my uh, little sheet again here. But uh, here's one that I if I remember correctly, is not on there. Let me do a quick search because I have my list right here. Right? Are you going to respond, you son of a bitch, Excel sheet? No, we're not. Hmm. Interesting. Which is, uh, I, you know what it, probably the problem is? Because I'm working on the, uh, uh, there it is. 
I'm working on the Mac version of it. Oh, it is on the list. Okay. All right, never mind. But it's uh, uh maybe I'm I don't know maybe I just wanted to hear the, play this clip because I, I I adore it so much because we use it as a drop all the time for Matt. But uh, now you can just uh, hear the full thing in case you're missing out on it. Eighteen hours ago, we lost a chopper carrying a cabinet minister and his aide in this charming little country. We've got a transponder fix on their position about here. This cabinet minister, does he always travel on the wrong side of the border? Apparently they straight off course, and we're fairly certain they're in guerrilla hands. So why don't you use the regular army? What do you need us for? Because some damn fool accused you of being the best. Dylan! You son of a bitch! What's the matter? The CIA got you pushing too many pencils? Huh? Had enough? Make it easy on yourself, Dutch. <laughs> okay, okay, okay! You never did know when to quit, huh? Damn good to see you, Dutch. You son of a bitch! There it is, folks. The original. You ever wonder, where, where does that come from? Well, of course, everybody knows it's from Predator. Mm-hmm. Matt Predator is, where was it, 32? 37. 30 something? 37. 37. 37. 30. 37. Magical In a row? 37. So uh, there you go. No, uh, 36. I'm 37? That's what the little <laughs> line is. All right. So there you go. So Rolling Stone dropped this list of the 50 greatest action films of all time. Mm-hmm. And as usual, we're desperate to come up with different ideas for the final segment of the show. How many top fives can you really do? Mm-hmm. So I said, let's do a top 50. No, we're not going to do it. We're not going to re-rank this. We're not going to go through it. We're just going to kind of talk briefly about it. Now, I will confess, there's a few films on this film on this list I haven't seen. Same. I still haven't seen Guy Ritchie's Man from Uncle. Mm-hmm. I have not seen Dead or Alive. Right. I have not seen uh, Hero. I have not seen The Mission. Mm-hmm. I have not seen The Villainous, though I do own it. Uh, and that's it. I've seen everything else on here. Is there anything else that jumped out at you? Um, yeah, uh, I haven't seen haven't any seen? of those. Uh, oh, no, I've seen The Man from Uncle, so I have seen that. Uh, I have not seen the 1938 Adventures of Robin Hood, so oh, okay, yeah. so that's that's something. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I think I've seen just about everything else on here. All right, so that's great. Now, I have a question for you. For you, yeah. for you. Yeah. Because I think that one of the big flaws with this list is it conflates action and adventure. Right. And do you think, is there a big enough difference between those two? Because the, the genre, at least on my Apple TV, is action and adventure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, but is there a difference between the two of those for you? Or are you okay having them kind of com- combined? Um, I can see what they did, but I personally would remove adventure from that. So, for me, I would eliminate any comic book movie off of here. As much as I love Raiders, that's more of an adventure movie. So, I don't think yep. that I would include that here as well. Um so, yeah, for me, I think an action movie is a very definite thing. And I think that's partly because for people like us who grew up in the 80s where it was a very distinct genre, it's not so much anymore where it kind of blends in together. Like for us, we have a very specific idea of what constitutes an action movie. Yeah, I think that's fair. So uh, there's a couple things on here I have real issues with. Wonder Woman? No. Gone. That it's... Out of the top 50 action films of all time, I think there are a couple films on here that work as representations of particular genres mm-hmm. that aren't well populated. I think one of the big challenges the list has, too, is action films with black leads mm-hmm. or black-led films, mm-hmm. right? I think that that's why I think Black Panther is number nine. Above my beloved aliens, which is insane to me. Like, that, I mean, uh, like, I get it, but... Above Aliens, that's just that is outrageous. That is outrageous. Rolling would, Stone. Yeah, I, I I could see maybe you want to have it in the fifties mm-hmm. top fifty, maybe at the at the far end of it. I would probably put Blade or Blade Two. Yeah, that's more of an action you, film than than. You know what's even what's even like you know Die Hard's on here, but like some of the like Lethal Weapons not on here. Uh, right. You know, there's no Commando. Uh, and if you. If you're going to have some of these films, why not do a Beverly Hills Cop too? Mm-hmm. Or is that too far into comedy? But they have Midnight Run on here. 
Exactly. So and that, yeah, and the buddy cop movie. Don't get me wrong. Midnight Run's fantastic. Yeah, it is. But uh, yeah, it's. I, I don't know. There's a lot of weird things about the, about this list. I don't get. And then, and then, I would probably also do like maybe the original Shaft over Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Dolomite's fantastic. Black Caesar. Uh, I don't know about Black Dynamite. I think that might be too far into spoof territory. Yeah, for it to be considered an action film, mm-hmm. there's action in it. Yeah, but that film's more about honoring and and laughing with exploitation films than it is anything else. Mm. Um, uh, deep cover, Bill Duke's deep cover with Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. Though I, I don't know, maybe because Jeff, Go- I don't know that. I mean, that's fantastic as well. But that's maybe that's more of a crime thriller. Yeah, as well. That's part of the two. A lot of these kind of cross over when it comes to uh, genres. Again, Empire Strikes Back is that an action film? I don't no, think. I mean, so. there's a lot of action. Train in to it. Busan is it has a lot of action, but that's a horror film right. as far as I'm concerned. Right. Yeah, like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I I put that more as a martial arts film. The Dirty Dozen is an action film, but it's weird because it's also a war film, and I think it's the only war film that's actually on the list. Um, looking at it, The Fugitive. I mean, doesn't that seem more like a adventure film to me than an action film? That's interesting. I'm not sure. I I didn't have so much so much of an issue with that, but I think that uh, for me, the straight action films on here, mm-hmm. right? I think Taken is. Yeah, I think so. I think that's true. Yeah. I think Escape from New York. I you, you can get me on that for sure. Uh, speed, yeah. Speed's an action film. That is an action film. Yeah, because there's no um, plot Atom- at all. Yeah, Warriors. I think so. Mm-hmm. Even though, I mean, though it's technically, I think, I think Hill's really making a comic book movie sure, there. Right. Uh, Atomic Blonde, absolutely. I just don't know if it's worth to being on thirty nine. Like, how do you put Atomic Blonde above La Femme Nikita? That I don't understand at all. Uh, Predator, I think so. I think the sci-fi elements are in service of an action film. Right. Point Break, sure. Yeah. Five Deadly Venom. See, that's what's interesting, too, is I I have an easier time blending martial arts films into action films mm-hmm. as a genre, specifically. Like, the Raid Redemption on here is is number four. Right. I don't think I have a problem with that. In fact, independent of Black Panther... Uh, I think the top 10, I think you, maybe you could argue about moving stuff around, yeah. but I don't have an issue with it at all. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the only, I'm completely on board. So right, why don't you run down the top 10 for everybody too? Right. I, know, I, I know people, you can pause it and go pull up the Rolling Stone article yourself, but Matt, what are the top 10 there? Start all right. With so number 10 is Aliens, a travesty. Number nine is Black Panther. Eight is Seven Samurai. Seven is Hard Boiled. Six is Matrix. Five is Enter the Dragon. Four is The Raid Redemption. Three is John Wick. Two is Die Hard. And one is Mad Max Fury Road. With the exception of Black Panther, which I I agree, can see it being on the list, like Chris said. I just don't think it deserves to be in the top ten. Especially when things like T2 are sitting at number 16, which I think should be in the top ten. But otherwise, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty okay with the with the top 10, I just maybe would have ordered it a little differently. Yeah, I agree. And I will say too, I haven't seen any of the bad boys films mm-hmm. and there could be an issue clearly with me in my intake of black action cinema. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it, it is a blind spot for the most part from, I've seen some of the classic, you know, films from the seventies. Yeah. Uh, I saw passenger 57, which, yeah, it, uh, but that's that may also be a uh, poor service by uh, the industry itself. Like, would you throw on here uh, a Man on Fire or a Crimson Tide? Yeah, see, I don't know if Crimson Tide is enough. There's enough action there. It's much more of a pot boiler kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I I actually did was a little surprised that Man on Fire was not on here. You know, I, I struggle with it. I guess I'd really have to think about it. I would almost have to approach this list as. What would I remove? Like, what would I take off completely, and yeah. then see what's left, and see what else you can slip slip in here? Because honestly, you know, assuming that they're right about the films I haven't seen, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt for those. Like, once you take everything out, there's probably not a lot that's going to be removed here. I mean, the order we may disagree with, but I think a lot of what's on here we would keep. Well, what about like the Dark Knight? It's at number fourteen. Yeah, I don't think the action set pieces in that film are very good. Yeah. Yeah, that fight in the construction site and even the film, it's okay. Right, it's not. I don't think it's great. I think the coolest thing about it maybe is that we get to see the white-eyed Batman for a little while. <laughs> right, 
it's so I, I when I think of the Batman films, I don't really I have a hard time coming up with all the action set pieces in that film. I mean, there's the warehouse, the the construction site fight. Well, the, the I think what's really live, what that film is really dying, living dying by is the is the car chase, is the truck chase. That's yeah. that's probably. I mean, when you sit down and actually watch that scene, and it may have been a while for you, but that that scene is fantastic. Um, the way it all kind of plays out and the way it's all shot. So. Yeah, but then you have the bad dialogue. Yeah. Like when the cops are chasing him and they're having the radio communications <laughs> yeah. back and forth. Sure. That is not good. Yeah, but I mean, how many films on here have bad dialogue? I mean, let's be for real. Yeah, that's fair, <laughs> I guess. Man, I've been thinking about two rewatching those because I have the 4K set I bought last year, Black Friday, mm-hmm. for $30, mm-hmm. and I still haven't watched them. I got to do that. Yeah. Uh, Would you have yeah. put Fallout on here as, as the best MI example of MI? Yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, I probably would. Okay. I think Ghost Protocol may be still my favorite of the series. Mm-hmm. It's because there's a, there's a joy in that film mm-hmm. that I th- isn't really in the other ones. But when it comes to action set pieces, again, which is what we're focused on here, I think Fallout is the best of them. Yeah. I think that's I think that's accurate. All right. Yeah. I, what about you? Yeah, I don't know. I really have warmed on those films. Like I don't think the first three are particularly great films, but I think they've really turned it around from, you know, Rogue Nation, Ghost Protocol, Fallout, and then, you know, I enjoyed um, Dead Reckoning enough. I think they're they're really solid action films. I would struggle to think about what it is, but maybe I think Fallout may be the one, especially with that whole helicopter chase at the end there. Yeah. Oh, I have a question for you. What? So there's two Bond films. One is Goldfinger, and I think which is fine because it, and Goldfinger's coming at 31. Yeah. Because it basically, it cements the template right. of the Bond right, film. Right, right, But above that in 19, is 19 is Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. Now, while I still th- love Casino Royale, it's one of the movies I was obsessed with when it came out. I think I saw it in the, it's one of the few films I've seen in the theater more than once. Hell, I think I saw it three or four times. Right. And because I was so excited about Craig as Bond. But what I will say, even though it's an inferior film as a whole, mm-hmm. The action set pieces in Quantum of Solace are better, mm-hmm. I think, than the ones in Casino Royale. Quantum, his Bond, that film, he is just a killing machine. The fights are much more brutal. I think they're much more intense, the action scenes in that film. The opening with the car chase, the fight across the plaza into the abandoned church or whatever it is. Um, throughout the whole thing, the fight at the opera, all these different things, I think... Uh, Mike Foster gets a lot of flack for how he, that film was shot. Now, a big problem with that movie, too, is that there was a writer's strike at the time, so they are kind of filming it and writing it as they went. Uh, which is, I think that's the key wi- weakness of the film. Yeah. I saw that with somebody, and at about 20 minutes into it, they leaned over to me and they said, do you know what's going on? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, how do you know what's going on? Because it's, <laughs> it is it is an almost nonsensical movie, like, and it's plotting yeah but in the end but the fight scenes this action set pieces are some of the are some of the best i think and let me put it this way it's craig's bond at its most brutal is quantum of Saul. so if we're talking action films i'd probably put quantum above casino yeah well i'm sure but as whole co- cohesive experiences casino is better. yeah well and it kicked off the kind of modern bond so it's probably important in that sense the born bond yeah. yes well you know I, you know i I think for me, I think the only thing glaring omissions for me that are like my immediate reaction top of my head, I would probably put, you know, other than some of the ones I already listed, I I don't give a shit. I would put, I would find some way to get dread on here somewhere. (laughs) Like I, that is a fantastic film. And honestly, uh, you know, things like live, die, repeat are on here, but man, I would put Maverick on here. For sure, um, mm-hmm. because it is that was a hell of an experience uh, in the theaters watching that. So, yeah, I think those are the only two things I would try and really try and shoehorn in here somewhere. See you, Wonder Woman. Yeah, I agree with you. Dread's going into number forty three. Get rid of Wonder Woman, and then we can figure out yeah. where where Maverick fits in. I would throw in the first rate film as well. Mm-hmm. See, uh, I think that should be on here. Um, I think I think I could make an argument for Gladiator. Yeah, yeah, true. I think that should be on here. And then I was, I go, you were talking about Maverick. I wonder too, Battle Royale, mm. I think, mm-hmm. uh, uh, might be worth looking at. Um, is he an action film? 
enough. See, I was, but I think most so much of Heat is is a crime film. Uh, yeah. I, well, so then it's like something like Baby Driver. Is that an action film with all the car chases and stuff? See, yeah, I think you're right. So maybe Heat and I don't have Baby Driver Miller's, but uh, that's interesting. And then that, when I went back and forth too on Bullet, mm. Steve McQueen. Uh, that, but then maybe that's just because the car chases alone, maybe. Uh, Robocop is the one I was really sitting Ooh, on. Yeah, that's a good one. Starship Troopers. Let's go like a Verhoeven yeah. pair there. Yeah. But Robocop, I would definitely find a way to. That actually should be on this list. And it's a. Tr- I'm also. Now I'm getting more upset again. So thanks for that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And that, I, I went back and forth on the Terminator. I think if you're going to have a Terminator film, yeah. you're going to go T2. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the greatest action films of the 20th century. Yeah. All right. So I think it's. I'm glad it's on there. Like you said, it's number. It's, it's at number sixteen. I don't know if it goes top ten, but it's uh, gonna be a little higher for me than sixteen. Though again, I think I'm pulling Raiders off of this list because I don't consider it an action film in the vein of yeah a raid film or the number one, which is Fury Road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the I think I give T two a pass. I think part of what hurts T two is that it was such a cultural touchstone back in the early '90s that people have seen it so many times that you've almost forgotten. Like it's almost become mundane and wrote to you because it's been, you've just retread it so many times. And I I think that kind of hurts the film. But uh, if you took it in a vacuum, I think, uh, I think it definitely belongs higher up on that list. Yeah. I enjoy Snowpiercer, but it would not be on my list. Yeah. That's also kind of a weird one for it to be that high. Um, Man, they should have really consulted us on this list. And then Logan, ahead of the Kill Bill films, is just, I, I don't Another know, I'm not sure where to start there. Another travesty. So, there's a lot of, but then you know what, that's part of the list, right? That's part of the point, yeah. is they want to get people talking. Yeah. They want to get some, push some traffic to the website. So, there you go. They're successful there. Check out Rolling Stone's site. You can review the list for yourself, see what you say. Scott Pilgrim, Matt, what were you thinking? Yeah, so I was considering Scott Pilgrim. I think it's a little too much in the comedy realm for it to, to really Agreed. fit, but... It's a good film. And I think it's maybe too much of a crime drama, but I do adore uh, Mike Hodges' Get Carter, the Michael Caine mm-hmm. film. If we're talking Edward Wright, are we talking Hot Fuzz? Does Hot Fuzz make it in? The the ultimate uh, spoof on, on action films in and of itself? No, oh, I don't know. Are there any spoof action films on here? I don't think I don't there think are. So, huh? I mean, Police Story is, I mean, it's classic Jackie Chan, but I don't. it's not spoofy. Yeah. So, no, I don't really see anything on here. Fair enough. All right. I guess that was uh, it for me, too, and the ones that I found uh, uh, missing. So, good time. Yeah, none of the Lethal Weapons films are on it. Well, only the first two are the really good yeah. ones, right? Yeah, that's the one that's worth watching. But if you had to choose a buddy cop type film, I would probably would take Midnight Run mm-hmm. over a Lethal Weapon film. Not that Groden's a cop in that yeah. one, but, you know, the, the cop adventure road movie type thing. Yeah. Good times. Good times. All right. Any other thoughts, man, on this list? No. Uh, I think it's a A for effort there, Rolling Stone. I think I disagree with some of your choices, but I respect what you're trying to throw out there. And, you know, this thing will be outdated within six months anyway, so here we go. There you go. <laughs> so but I'm glad to see John Wick get so much love. I don't know if I've had it at three, but uh, what Chad Stileski and Keanu Reeves have done with that franchise is just absolutely incredible. Yeah. So. I think it's a little bit of recency bias on that one, but mm-hmm. I think I could definitely see it in the top. I can't see it any lower than 12 on its worst day. I mean, I, I can't argue enough how influential that film has been as kind of re- revitalizing the action genre. And you're okay with Fury Road at one? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Fury Road is one of the best films I've ever seen. So, like, I, as far as an action film goes, so, like, I, I'm completely fine with that. Yeah, I, I don't think I have any qualms with that either. What about, I guess my last question for you, because I never understood, Lord of the Rings of Two Towers. Is that the most action-y of the three? I keep wanting to revisit over the holidays, but... So I think there's more action in the last one because there's that huge major like final battle at the end. Yeah. But I think as a straight-up action film, I think the second one is probably the one you want to go with. Okay. God, I haven't watched those in forever. Man, that's weird because I watched them all three of them at least once a year. I got to do that. You watch extended or theatrical? Oh, extended. That's the only way to go. All right. Yeah. I got that 4K set. And I got to pop it on there. Well, so there you go. All right. What are your thoughts, folks? Email feedback at the first run.com. What are your thoughts on Rolling Stones list? Did it get you talking? Did it get you thinking? We'd love to hear 
what your favorite action films are as well. Feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, I didn't even look at the calendar mm-hmm. for next week, so I have no idea what's on it. But, uh, but we did talk about what we're we doing, did. though. We so did. Yeah, we got it covered. So what are we doing? Chris is traveling for the holidays, so we're going to go with an actual... S- just a couple streaming ones that are new to us and to you, for the most part. Uh, we're going to mm-hmm. check out uh, May-December with uh, Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman. And then we're going to watch uh, Leave the World Behind, starring Ethan Hawke, Julia Roberts, and Marshahala Ali. There you go. And uh, in the meantime, you can uh, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, do a search for the first run. The same Instagram? I think it is. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you'll find us. Head over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. It'll help other people find the show. And uh, head over to the website, thefirstrun.com. You can find archives of all the old shows and more. And I guess, Matt, that'll be it. So we're going to go ahead and wrap things up here. Take care of yourselves. We love you very much. And we'll see you soon. One more question, sir. About those sacks of gold.